Okay, today we're reading Acts chapter 3. Now, this is about Peter. And uh, as you remember, in Acts 2, the uh, gift of the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles in the marketplace, in in a public place, and uh, they spoke with tongues. And uh, the word for power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the the Greek word is uh, dynamos. And what I didn't know is that Nobel, when he invented his invention, um, it was called dynamite from the same Greek word, dynamite, that explosive power. And so the power of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, descended on the apostles and all the believers in Jerusalem. And now in chapter 3, we're seeing how that power is worked out through Peter. You remember that he denied Christ three times, you know, before Christ was crucified. And now we'll read how Peter has been absolutely transformed in in chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three o'clock in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple uh, temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg uh, from those going into the temple courts. Now when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I don't have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. The man jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping, and praising God. Now when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why are you staring at us as if by our own power or or goodliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, but you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer, Barabbas, be released to you instead. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he has given this complete healing to him, as you can see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, But this is how God fulfilled 
what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. So repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now he must remain in heaven, and the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything that he tells you. Anyone who doesn't listen to him will be completely cut off from his own people. Now indeed, all the prophets from Samuel onwards, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. <coughs> he said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. <coughs> when God raised his servant up, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, that's a different Peter now than the one who denied Christ three times. Thanks, Bob. Uh, keep those Bibles or readings handy. Uh, follow along. Uh, make sure I'm not just making stuff up, but it's actually God who's speaking to us today. Well, um, last week, actually, this is a bit of a plug for, uh, I don't know if you know, but on our website, you can actually listen to sermons. So uh, if you can't make it to church one week, uh, that's okay. You can go home and uh, catch up, those that, you know, you're stuck home sick or you're away on holidays or something. Um, and my wife, Keely, was listening because uh, she'd been in kids' church last week. And during the week, she was listening to last week's sermon. And, uh, and we came across a pretty uh, humorous blooper that I'd made. And we'd actually missed two of our points together. And so uh, at a point when I was supposed to be talking about how God's church devotes itself to the apostles' teaching in our homes, in our cars, in our beds, what I actually said was that uh, God's church devotes itself to Christian fellowship in our homes, in our cars, in our beds. Uh, so there, there might have been some of you last week thinking, oh, you've signed up for a cult, uh, but uh, why don't we pray that my brain will work properly this morning and I won't accidentally lead us into some kind of grievous sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we have preserved so accurately and with so much detail uh, these events uh, from the very birth of the church. Uh, thank you that we have these these encounters uh, and these first sermons that were preached. Uh, and thank you that uh, we can look back and we can see that from the very beginning, nothing has ever changed. Uh, those 12 apostles were absolutely 100% convinced that they had seen the risen Lord Jesus and that he changes everything. We pray this morning that as we uh, have a look at this passage, uh, that we would be encouraged, we would go away uh, being excited and praising you and giving thanks for the fact that Jesus really is Lord and Saviour who came here to die and rise again. Amen. Well, have you ever gotten uh, far better than you'd hoped for? Maybe you were hoping for something, maybe you were you know, on your way to the shops or to see someone or there was a situation you were concerned about and you're hoping that maybe it would play out one way but actually it played out far, far better than you could have ever hoped. 
Well, that's exactly what happened for our friend here at the temple, isn't it? This afternoon for him, I imagine, began just like any other. His neighbours or his friends or his family came to his place, picked him up in his stretcher, carried him to the temple gate where he begged each day, I imagine, for change. And he's there and, and as he's just getting popped down on the ground, Peter and John walk up. And so he asked for arms as he held out his palms and this is what Peter did say. Mate, I don't have what you're asking for. Look at me. But I do have what you need. Have a look at verse 6. Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, this was a name that I'm sure this man knew. How could he not know this name? All Jerusalem had been talking about Jesus of Nazareth for months, even years. He'd no doubt heard all the, the stories of this preacher who drew crowds of thousands, this healer who healed people of all kinds of sickness and diseases and demons, raised people from the dead, even made cripples like him walk. He'd probably hoped over the, over the time of hearing these stories that he would meet Jesus one day and be healed, but somehow he never ran into him. Jesus, the one who I'm sure he had heard, had been arrested, tried in a kangaroo court and killed by a bunch of jealous priests and religious leaders. But who, just a few days later, had set Jerusalem on fire with the news and the rumours that he had risen from the dead, that his tomb had been found empty. And then all of a sudden, after Pentecost, there were these, these followers of Jesus who, who from radio silence were suddenly everywhere talking in the temple, in the streets, in homes. And all of these people were coming to believe in Jesus and this church was growing and growing. No doubt this man had heard a lot about this person whose name is Jesus the Christ. But what did Peter mean when he used the name of Jesus? I've watched a few videos this week of... Um, of supposed Christian healers and preachers. Uh, and, and I've seen people kind of latch onto this idea that we can use Jesus' name a little bit like a spell or kind of a, an incantation uh, that we can just sort of chant out, kind of like the magic words that will then make something happen. You know, in the name of Jesus, they say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, over and over again. I command in the name of Jesus. Be healed, be made well, be fixed. Let your debts and your worries and your financial difficulties and your work troubles and your relationship problems all dissolve away in the name of Jesus, they say. And actually a little while later in the book of Acts, uh, there were actually some people who tried to use Jesus' name like this. They tried to use Jesus' name like this kind of secret 
code, like this incantation, like a magic spell to bring about what they wanted. Uh, in chapter 19, Luke, Luke tells us the report. Uh, these seven brothers said, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, demon, I command you to come out. This is one of, you know, for the, all the teenage boys here, this is one of those kind of favourite uh, Bible passages because the demon says, hey, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who in the world are you guys? Then he jumps on them, beats them to a pulp, rips all their clothes off them, and they all run out bleeding and naked. <laughs> now, if that's not a warning not to kind of treat Jesus' name lightly like some kind of magic spell, I don't know what is. See, here, Peter's not using Jesus' name like a magic spell, like a secret password that lets him unlock things. Peter doesn't use this name thinking that by using Jesus' name, he can twist God's arm and force God to do something that Peter wants him to do. No, that's a cheapening and a disrespecting of the name of Jesus. What Peter's doing is honouring and lifting up the name of Jesus. Now imagine uh, if I sent uh, one of my sons, I say I sent Josiah, uh, to go and tell Micah that he needs to come and talk to Dad. And Josiah goes to Micah, he says, hey, you need to go to Dad. He actually goes in my name. He goes as my ambassador or my representative. And so when he says, you need to go to Dad, Dad said, he actually is carrying that authority as someone who I've authorised to represent me, someone who I've chosen to be my ambassador. Now that is what Peter is doing here. Peter, as one of Jesus' 12 apostles, filled with the Spirit, given this special mission as witnesses of Christ and given by the Spirit the power to do miracles, to point people to who Jesus is, Peter stands as an ambassador and acts and speaks under the authority of Jesus, his master. He's not trying to use Jesus' name and twist it, but he's being used by Jesus. And he's making it very clear that it's actually not Peter that is doing this, but Jesus. And so it was Peter on this afternoon reached out to this man in the name of Jesus the Christ, the King, who came from Nazareth. This man gets a whole lot more than he hoped for. Have a look at verse 7. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now, I don't know uh, if you've had any experience with uh, people who are faith healers or claim to be faith healers. One thing that I find interesting is that actually in my experience, I've never seen someone with a really obvious uh, illness or disability or deformity be healed. Uh, it's interesting the people that are up on stage, uh, you know, often they'll put someone in a wheelchair on the way in the door. Oh, you look like you could have a sit down and they wheel them in. And, and often the things that are healed are things that can't be seen. Oh, you've just been cured of cancer right in front of us. We can't see that. We can't test that until later. And yet here, this is such a visible, obvious, undeniable healing, isn't it? I mean, you imagine what this guy's legs would have looked like. 
from the time when he was born, he's never been able to walk. All of his joints would be curled up, his skin would be stuck to his bones, he'd have no muscle tone whatsoever. He'd be seized up and unable to move and, and here instantly those seized up joints began to loosen and straighten. The skin that was clinging to just bone begins to fill out with muscle and flesh. And he doesn't just sort of struggle up and hobble about. Have a look at verse 8. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God. See, for this man, it might have begun like any other ordinary afternoon, but it certainly didn't finish like an ordinary afternoon. When he called out to Peter for some cash, he certainly got a heap more than he was hoping for. And he responds like any sensible person would respond. He starts running around and jumping around like a yahoo, celebrating how great God is and this amazing miracle that God has just done for him. Now, the locals who were there, they, they recognise who he is. They've seen this guy sitting at the gate day after day after day, and they're stunned. But, Peter says, you really shouldn't be all that surprised. Have a look at verse 12. Looking round at the crowds gathering, astonished, Peter says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? No, no, no. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he has glorified his servant Jesus. You guys handed him over to be killed. You guys disowned him before Pilate. You said we don't have anything to do with him. Even though Pilate wanted to let him go. Verse 14, you guys disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. God from eternity, the one who said, let there be light, the one who said, let mankind be made in our image, the one who made male and female and breathed life into them. The one who keeps hearts beating in chests and lungs drawing in air. You took him and you killed him. Verse 15, but, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. It's by faith in the name of Jesus that this man who you see and no was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. See, Peter's saying, why are you surprised? Haven't you heard all the, all the news going around about Jesus? Haven't you heard about his many miracles while he was here among you? Surely there are people here who have been healed by Jesus. Surely there are people here who saw him heal friends and neighbours and family. Surely you heard him preach. Surely you heard him say, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Surely you've met someone who has seen him risen. 
God raised him and glorified him. Why are you so surprised? Why are you so surprised that when he then sent out his disciples and filled them with his spirit, that this would happen? See, this was a foretaste of the kingdom. Like Jesus had been giving a little foretaste, a little snapshot of what it was going to be like to live in his kingdom. A kingdom where Jesus has complete dominion, where he's driven away sickness, driven away death, driven away the mess of creation in a fallen world. A world where there's no more disasters, no more dying, no more sadness. Why are they surprised? Well, maybe you think, well, actually, I'd be a little bit surprised. (laughs) I feel like I would. And yet maybe we shouldn't be. Peter says, why are you surprised? So the implication here is that they actually should be joining in the celebration of the crippled man, shouldn't they? They actually should be also jumping around and shouting out like yahoos. But why aren't they? Well, maybe it's because acknowledging the reality of who Jesus is also means acknowledging their own guilt. Acknowledging that, yes, he is the Christ, God, the one who came to save us. And yes, I disowned him. I handed him over. I killed him. His blood is on my hands. How could they celebrate this miracle when they know they're guilty of his blood? This shouldn't be surprising, says Peter. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And it's not surprising because he walked out of the grave. He walked out of the grave just as God had foretold. Have a look at verse 18. This has happened just like God said it would in the prophets. This shouldn't be surprising, but what is surprising is what Peter says next, verse 19. You guys who disowned him, handed him over and killed him, you're all stuffed. No, that's not what he says. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. The crippled man walked and got better than he hoped because Jesus walked. It shouldn't surprise us that this crippled man has been given a new lease on life. But here, most surprising of all, is that the good news of the gospel is that God-killers get to walk. See, Jesus gives us better than we deserve. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, I was a bit of a prankster, uh, but I was also highly forgetful. Uh, So sometimes I'd I'd pull a prank or do a joke, and then I'd forget about it, um, which was kind of great, because then when it all comes out, I'm just as surprised as everybody. Uh, But uh, (laughs) this one day I was on a camp, I think I was in Year 7, uh, and I had a wonderful leader. His name was Roy. Um, really great guy. And uh, I was in the cabin one day and I just saw his keys sitting there. I thought, oh, I could have some fun with this. Uh, and being the punk that I was, I hid them in a pair of socks, uh, which I just stuffed into his bag somewhere. 
Um, so these keys were pretty well hidden, I think in hindsight, you know, this poor guy looking, looking for his keys. Uh, but sometime afterwards, maybe that afternoon, maybe the next morning, I don't remember, uh, Roy just uh, pulled me aside and, and said that actually, hey Scott, I want to talk to you about something. Someone in our cabin's done something uh, that needs, needs disciplining, but I'm just not sure what we should do. Like, do you have any ideas? You know, can you, can you come up with some kind of discipline that we can, you know, hand out on there? And uh, of course, my, my imagination kicked into gear while my memory didn't. I, I had no clue that he could be talking about me because I'd totally forgotten about the keys. And, uh, and so I came up with the most creative consequence that I could think of. Uh, there was this big, dirty, filthy, stinky, muddy dam full of slippery, slimy eels. And there was a jetty. I said, I've got the perfect, perfect consequence. They've got to run and jump off the end of the jetty and then swim out through all the slimy eels. He said, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. So I'll think about that one. Uh, so later that day, we all had a, uh, a cabin meeting at the end of this jetty. And uh, we're standing there and still I haven't cottoned on. And um, I think there was a bit of excitement to say, oh, who's, who, who's done something? Who's going to walk the flank? And, um, and Roy turned the tables on me. He said, actually, the reason why we're here is because uh, I just spent an hour and a half looking for my keys. And suddenly the penny dropped. Uh, and, and Roy looked at me and said, Scott, you hid my keys, didn't you? I hid your keys, Roy. And, and so, Scott, you're going to have to walk the plank. And uh, I deserved to walk that plank. I deserved to go swimming with those slimy eels. I was terrified. But actually, Roy gave me far better than I deserved. I deserved to go for that swim. But Roy gave me forgiveness. He gave me mercy. He didn't make me go in. And you know what? Actually, I think he took us all back up to the cabin and shared a bunch of chocolates and lollies with us. See, Roy gave a little glimpse of the grace that God gives. Because God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives better. And as Peter stood up in the middle of these curious Jerusalemites, these people who had literally killed God, the author of life, he turns the tables. Verse 13, you handed over God's special servant to Roman executioners. Verse 14, you disowned the holy and righteous one and traded him for murder. Verse 15, you killed the author of life and now God has raised him up from the dead and we've seen him. But God did this on purpose. God gives better than you deserve. He actually promised this through his prophets, that this would happen. Isaiah 53, a familiar passage to many of us, talks about Jesus 700 odd years before Jesus came. Talks about the servant, the Christ, the Messiah, who God promised would come. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. He was despised. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, the punishment we deserved, was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all have gone astray. But the Lord laid on him the punishment for the sin of us all. 
And what does that mean for us? Well, after he was assigned a grave with the wicked, the Lord made his life an offering for sin. Yet he saw his life. As he, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. God promised that he would raise him up. Isaiah 53 verse 11, After he has suffered, he will see the light of light and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and will take the punishment for their sin. See, God gives far better than we deserve. We deserve to be crushed and destroyed and thrown into death. And yet Jesus came and took that in our place for us so that we could be forgiven. He took what we deserve that he didn't deserve so we could have what he deserves that we didn't deserve. Verse 19, Peter announces forgiveness. Repent, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, God killers can walk free. God killers can have their sin, all their sin, completely eradicated. Now, while these Israelites standing before Peter probably weren't the same ones who actually had tried him in a kangaroo court, they probably weren't the same people who'd stood in Pilate's square calling out for Pilate to crucify him. They probably weren't the ones that said, we'd rather have that murderer over there, just get rid of this guy and kill him, hurry up. But they were collectively part of the problem and the reason why Jesus had to die. They were responsible, and so are we. Actually, we're in that same collective boat of mankind. We're the same ones whose sin meant Jesus had to die so we can go free. Every one of us deserved to be crushed. But Jesus gives us better than we deserve. When Jesus hung on that cross, he looked down at the God-killers around him. He said, Father, forgive them. Isn't it incredible that if God can forgive the sin of those who stood there and cried out for Jesus' blood, if he can completely wipe away all their sin, well, there is no sin that he won't wipe away. There is no sin that you can do that is worse than crucifying the author of life, than rejecting and killing the holy and righteous one. And yet, often I meet Christians who are still walking around holding on to guilt of sin that they feel God can't take away or God hasn't taken away. How encouraging is it if God can forgive us for murdering his son? If our sin is completely, as Peter says, wiped away, there is nothing left. There is no sin that God does not deal with when we turn to Jesus. So maybe you've got some sin, something awful in your history, in your past. 
Maybe a repeated sin that you struggle with over and over again. Maybe something like witchcraft or maybe you've exploited and abused other human beings in in awful ways. Maybe you've even taken human life. But if God can forgive you for killing his own son, the author of life, he will forgive you for anything. He is, if you have repented, he has already done it, already wiped it away. Jesus gives better than we deserve. Well, here Peter tells us that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back and, and he will restore not just one crippled man, not just a few people with sickness and disease, but he will restore all things. Have a look with me at verse 21. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. See, he is now in heaven, but he will come back. And this little foretaste of the man who walked, of those whose sins were wiped away, God will restore all things. There will be no cripples. And there will be no sin left to forgive for those in God's kingdom, for it is all wiped away for good. And so I've got a question for you this morning. It's a question at the bottom of your page there. And if you're someone who's trusting Jesus, I want to ask this question. Are you still carrying guilt even though it's already been wiped out? Are you still walking around holding on to guilt, thinking that God can't forgive you when actually he's already wiped it away? And if you're not someone who's following Jesus yet, if you're not someone who's repented yet and come to him for forgiveness, I want to say you're carrying guilt that can be wiped out. Come to him, repent, turn to God so your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you uh, that you're a God who gives so much better than we deserve. Thank you that Jesus took what we deserve in order to give us what he deserves. He took our sin to give us his life. And thank you that when we turn to you, absolutely every sin is completely wiped out. Help us to know and trust and rejoice in that, that we may celebrate like that crippled man on that day. And Lord, for anyone here who still hasn't brought their sin to you. Lord, I pray that you would convict them. I pray that you would help them know and realise that actually Jesus died for their sin and they need forgiveness. And I pray that they today will repent and turn to you, that they will know the joy of having all their sin wiped out and know the refreshing that only comes from you. Amen.